Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter 4, and we're going to read through uh, verses 7 through 11 together. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. This is God's word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Oh Lord, your word is a light and a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. Lord, help us then to follow your word, to come today with receptive hearts, open to the truth of what you say, ready to embrace the teaching of your word and ready to obey you. Lord, help us today to love Jesus more and by loving him, to become like him. Father, we pray this morning for many who are serving you across the world, for partners that we partner with in the gospel. We pray especially this morning for Matt and Jenna in Southeast Asia, among a Muslim people group. Lord, we pray that you would encourage them and their family as they sow seeds, plant seeds, and that the gospel would bear much fruit in the lives of the people in that country. We pray for the ministry of Mallor Point Baptist Church here in Scott County, that you would bless Pastor Chris as he shepherds that congregation, that you would bless the the, the members and the guests of that congregation, that they would be a light there in northern Scott County um, for your kingdom. We pray for the country of Japan as we read and heard this week about an earthquake and tsunami that the people there face and the suffering, the loss of life in that country. Lord, we know that the true hope that we have in this world among devastation and earthquakes and natural disasters and all hardship is in Jesus Christ alone who overcomes this world and gives hope through his presence. Lord, we pray for the people of Japan to know the hope of Jesus. Father, we pray now that you would grant us your grace in our, in, as we get, spend time in your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated at this time. If the kids would like to go downstairs to your classrooms, uh, you're welcome to uh, do that at this time. Or the kids are welcome to stay uh, in here with us as well and to and continue worshiping with us.
And if you have your Bibles, just leave them open to 1 Peter chapter 4. Here at Safe Harbor, we like to work our way through passages of Scripture together because we want to hear what God has to say. And today, uh, we're doing something a little uh, different than normal in the way I normally preach. Normally, we preach kind of through books of the Bible. Uh, but today, uh, obviously, it's the beginning of a new year, 2024. So I'm going to do something I've done in, in quite a while and just kind of think through uh, the year ahead and uh, where we are as a church and where God's calling us, uh, I believe, and, and the pastors and elders of this church believe uh, that God's calling us to go. You know, over the last year... Uh, Many of you all are aware. We've been kind of talking and praying uh, as a congregation about some things. We big steps. We believe that God is calling us to consider uh, just to grow our impact uh, in reaching people in Scott County and the world for for the gospel. Um, if you weren't at our last church family meeting in December, uh, we, we kind of shared some of those things and some updates on them. So I'll just bring everybody up to speed. By God's grace. Uh, many of you know we have seen the Lord bringing new people to Himself and bringing people to this uh, church family. And with the growth we've seen, uh, we have been slowly filling up this building as it is. And so we're trying to figure out, well, how can we best be best stewards of, of what God wants us to do as a church? And so we've been talking really for the last year about a potential renovation or expanding this building. Uh, we had a, our local church network, uh, the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists, uh, which David Barron was a part of, um, do a study about a year and a half ago and just looked at our church and the dynamics and growth. And it, basically they, the, the conclusion they came up with was in a few years, uh, we would be out of space. And uh, obviously we don't want to get to a point where we're full and hinder people from coming and hearing the gospel and having a place to worship. Uh, and so there's different things that we looked at as possibilities with that. Last year, uh, you all as a congregation, we as a congregation voted uh, to hire a church consultant to just kind of help us consider different options. And he did, we did some surveys and met with different people and different demographics of the church. Uh, and so in December, we presented kind of a, a, an initial proposal that the consultant came up with. And so since then, uh, you know, it, it included a, a pretty extensive renovation and expansion, expanding our worship space, a new worship space. Uh, potentially uh, expanding classroom space, uh, our kids' space, um, accessibility for senior adults and, and those who are handicapped. And so uh, there's a lot of things that we're thinking through right now. And uh, so we're at the point of kind of gathering costs and trying to figure out uh, what's what can we do, what should we do, what's the Lord leading us to do, obviously, as a church at this point. So we're kind of at an important point, really, in the life of our church family. Um, and, uh, you know, with the building and all that we're seeking to do uh, and seeking the Lord's wisdom, we want to see how we can best minister to one another, encourage growth as followers of Jesus as a church family, and reach people for the gospel. That's really what we're about. We want to plan to live out and to fund what God is calling us to do. As a church, uh, we want to be a healthy church. We've said this, we want to be a healthy church that makes disciples of Jesus and that reproduces, that plants new churches uh, here in Scott County, or, but around the world, who helps revitalize uh, churches that are struggling and partners with those churches in the ways that God leads us to do those things. And we believe God is putting new opportunities uh, in front of us to do that. But I want to be clear 
all these plans and all these discussions and things we're talking about, this is not about us. This is not about our kingdom or how Safe Harbor can expand its name. This is about God and his kingdom in this world. The building and the ministry that we do, all of it is for God. That's why we exist. We exist for the glory of God in Georgetown, in central Kentucky, and his kingdom. And that's where I kind of want us to just start uh, this morning, this year, as we begin taking and thinking about big steps for us as a church. So I want to start with verse 11, uh, kind of at the end of our passage today in 1 Peter 4. Verse 11, let me read that for us again. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And that's the big idea for what we're talking about today as we begin this year. Let us seek to glorify God in everything as a church. As a church. It's not about us. It's not about our preferences, our desires, what we want to see as individuals. It's about how we as a body of believers can come together and glorify God in everything we do. And sometimes that means we have to give up what we want for the sake of glorifying God. And sometimes that means we get what we want because that's what best glorifies God. But we're willing to do whatever it takes. As we think about building plans and ministry opportunities and partnerships, it's going to take all of us being together for Jesus. And so in this passage, I believe we, we see five clear commitments that God calls us as Christians, just as Christians, in general to make. And I believe he's calling us to make these commitments as a church. Accomplishing things as a body of believers starts with every individual part being committed to accomplish those things. And so this is what God is calling us to do in his word. Verse 7, first, remember time is limited. Remember time is limited. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. You know, the Bible talks about the end of all things. What does he mean by that? Well, the end, according to the Bible, is when the world, in the world, Jesus returns. We believe as Christians that Jesus came as a man. He left heaven, came as a man, the Son of God, became flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, He's alive right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he will return. And when he returns, he will gather all his people, all who have trusted in him, who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he will gather us, and we will live with him forever in eternity, in a new heaven and a new earth. And he will judge and hold accountable those who have rejected him, because he is God. He has come to show us and invite us to walk with him, to know him, to live life with him, and live life his way. And we can either choose that, or we can, we can reject it. But the end of all things is coming, and he is returning. And so we see that this is near. As we think back over all of the history of the world, what does it mean to be near? Well, I think we think of it in terms of this. 
we are in the final chapter of what God is doing in this world. That's really a way we want to think about it. We don't know an exact time frame. Obviously, he wrote this 2,000 years uh, to the, the early church, and Jesus didn't return during their lifetime. But when he talks about being near, he's talking about the fact that we live in the final chapter of God's work in this world. Think about the history of the world. We got Adam and Eve at the very beginning, God's creation. We see throughout the Old Testament what God did in ancient times as he called a a unique people to himself and the people of Israel. God worked through that nation. But then we see that they needed a Savior, and so he sent Jesus. And Jesus came into this world And since Jesus came and died and rose again, since that time, we have been in the final chapter. We call it the church age, where the the church is God's representative kingdom on earth. And we are called to live on mission for him, to make disciples of all nations. From Acts 2 until now, we are in the end. And so we see that the next thing that's going to happen in God's plan is that Jesus is going to return and eternity is ahead of us. And the world as we know it will come to an end. And so, the point Peter is trying to make is we need to live with eternity in mind now. That's what's next. So what are we doing to prepare for an eternity? Either with God or without God. And hopefully, we make the choice to be with God and not under the judgment that we've rejected him. So we need to live knowing that what is here among us, around us, in this world is not all there is. We, we live life for the next one, not for this one. That's really what Peter is calling us to do. Live life for the next life, eternity, and not merely for this life. And so remembering, remembering the end is near should motivate us to do something differently. It's crunch time, as we like to put it. So think about if you're a student in school, you're taking a test. And time is, it's a timed test and time is running out. What do you do? Well, you really focus, you really pay attention, and you make sure that you are diligent to get through as much as you can on that test. Or if you're uh, an athlete and you're in a game, And you know the time is winding down. The clock is winding down. What do you do? Well, you make sure you put all your remaining effort into finishing the game well. That's really what God calls us to do as Christians. To live knowing it's crunch time. Time is short. We only got so many years, either in our life or till Jesus returns. And we want other people to hear as quickly as possible about who Jesus is. Because like you and I, they need him too. They need forgiveness just like we need forgiveness of our sins. They need to know God just like we have come to know God. A God who loves and saves and restores our lives into who he's made us to be. We want to do as much ministry as possible. We want to impact as many people now because we don't know how much time we'll have. So I just want to challenge us as a church to remember time is limited. As we think about plans as a church, but also as individuals, remember time is limited. So I just want to, you can write these, I'm going to have several challenges, you can write them down, and I encourage you to put them into practice. Start every day. 
get in the habit of starting every day, spending time with God, and praying and asking yourself this question. How can I live today as if Jesus, knowing Jesus is coming soon and he might return tonight, how can I live today? How can I do ministry today? Who can I talk to today? How can I fund ministry today? How can I use what I have for Jesus right now? Just ask yourself that simple question every morning and see what God does. All right? So we glorify God remembering the time is short. Secondly, glorify God remembering, being motivated by, by prioritizing prayer. We saw in verse 7, the end is near. And because it's near, we see a next step. And it's simply this. Pray. Pray. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Now he says, be alert and sober-minded. What's the opposite of being alert and sober-minded? It's being in a frenzy. It's living just a hectic, crazy life. The Greek word for that is mania. Right? We're just all over the place. We're running from here and there. We're not actually thinking about what we're doing or what we're thinking or how we're thinking about other people. We're just going. Right? And Peter's saying, no, we've got to be careful to think about life to measure God, our life by God's truth and not by emotion or circumstances. And how do we do that? He tells us prayer. Prayer is going to be key if we're going to think about what we're doing in our lives rightly. Because prayer is a means by which God changes us and aligns our heart with His. And we begin to see the world more clearly through His eyes because we're seeking Him and we're thinking about Him. We give Him our attention and our hearts and we think about his ways. You know, the greatest danger, I think, that you and I face in this world is that we begin to love this world and the ways of this world and the things of this world more than we love and live for God. We believe lies. I don't deserve this. I deserve this. This is what the world can give me. I don't want this. This looks better. We believe lies. And we need to think clearly and consider, what are we thinking? Right? What, what temptations are out there in front of us that we've just been chasing after and we haven't even really thought about it in terms of what God says about it? And we've got to just think about those things so that we can live more fully for Jesus. If we're going to take big steps as a church with a building or with any kind of ministry, we all need to be clear well, what does God say about this? How can we live more faithfully to accomplish what God wants us to do as a church? And are we thinking about it the right way, according to what he says? We need God's help to have clarity. We are tossed by the wind and the waves of this world. But God is an anchor that we sing about. God is an anchor who helps us know the way. So I challenge you this year. Pray every day to help God think clearly about the decisions in front of you for that day. The conversations you're going to have that day. What you're feeling in the moment. God, is this feeling, thought, word from you? Or is it from me? 
Ask God to help you measure those things. Third way that we as a church can glorify our Lord together this year, love each other. Love each other. Verse 8, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, above all, love one another. This elevates the importance, doesn't it? Like, all these other things are important, but above all, love one another. And so we see in verse, uh, Colossians 3, verse 14, he said, Paul puts it this way, Over all these virtues, all the virtues of godly living, put on love. Put it on. It's a choice. Put it on which binds them all together. It binds what God wants from us together. Love enables us to live out the Christian life in perfect unity. And so what we see here is he said, above all, love one another. He also says, maintain constant love. In other words, put in the effort to keep it. We all know that love for other people, for one another, is not always easy takes effort when somebody disappoints us or we feel like sins against us or lets us down. It takes effort to love one another. And Christians should be willing to make every effort to love one another, even when it's hard. He also says here, or we know from the Bible, that, that love never condones sin but love here covers a multitude of sin. In other words, we don't just overlook sin as if it doesn't matter. What does it mean to cover sin? It means we try to minimize its effects. We try to think about how we can keep it from spreading. How we are always working for the good and not the ill. We don't have ill will towards people. And the greatest example of this is Jesus. When Jesus comes to this earth and dies on the cross, he offers to cover your sin before God through his sacrifice. What does that mean? That doesn't mean it never happened, that he condones it. No, he covers it. He keeps sin from spreading in your life. He Makes you begins to make you holy. And he covers it in a way that it's no longer who you are. That our sins are forgiven when we respond in repentance and faith. That's how we're to treat one another as believers. We don't condone sin, but love covers sin. It, it is able to look past it, to overlook it, and to move forward together as followers of Jesus. That's what we're called to do, to bear with one another in that way. As Christians, 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love in this way because he first loved us. If Jesus has covered our sin, how can we just keep fixating on the sins of one another? We can't. We love in the way that he loves because he first loved us. And so that means we press through. We keep moving forward together as God's people, loving one another. You know, I'm thankful as I talk with pastors, friends, 
and I hear of struggles in their churches, God has been really kind to spare our church of any major blow-ups or divisions, especially these last few years. Because it's, it's a crazy world out there, folks. I mean, politics and pandemics and all kinds of stuff going on. There's a lot of people with a lot of strong opinions. And in a world full of conflict and division, Satan would love nothing more than to bring division and harm to God's church. And as we think about taking steps like expanding a building or renovating a building, expanding ministries, there will be temptations to be upset. Change is hard. Any change. Doesn't matter how big or small it is. And we might have differences of opinion or differences with one another, but we will glorify God and overcome any of those differences or preferences if we love one another. If we put one another above our own interest, if we cover sin, and we will glorify God by reaching a lost and broken world when we love one another and they see it. John 13, 35 says, says this, by, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. The world wants to see what Jesus is all about when they look and see us as his disciples because we love one another. Obviously, we're called to love all people in the way that God calls us to love all people created in his image. But there's a unique love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ that we should have. And obviously we see some people more than others, and that's going to look a little bit different from person to person, but we should desire, we should want to love people from all different backgrounds and places, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ in a unique way. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. We hear that a lot of times at weddings. He's talking to the church. We've got to bear all things with one another. To endure things together. Endure one another. Believe, to hope. To live with hopefulness towards one another. Which means we think the best of one another when we're tempted to look down. We go to one another. If we have questions or concerns, we don't let things simmer and boil over. We overlook matters of preference. We sacrifice for one another's good. And we speak truth, not in a demeaning way or unloving way or unkind way, but out of concern and love for souls and people. I just want to challenge you when it comes to loving one another. Make that commitment in your life. Ask God, how can I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who are fellow members of our church, well, this today, this week? What am I struggling with? God, help me to love them. You know, one way you can do this is pray through our church membership directory. I encourage you to pray for every single person. And as you pray for them, Ask God to give you a a love for that person. Confess any ill will you've had toward them or hard feelings or disappointments and ask God to help you love them. 
make that commitment. Fourth, we glorify God by being hospitable. Being hospitable. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Or another way of saying it, share your life. Share your life. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Paul says this, We cared so much for you, writing to a church, we cared so much for you as our brothers and sisters in Christ that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. In the New Testament, hospitality was in homes. The church met in homes. They, They shared their homes with one another. But really, hospitality is more than that. It's everywhere, right? We share life and hospitality in this building and in our homes and in the coffee shop and at lunch. And he says to do it, not complaining or grudgingly or out of obligation, but joyfully. And it's not always easy to show hospitality, to open up your house, to open up your life, to initiate conversations with people and it may be a little awkward at first because you don't know them. But I want to challenge you this year, find ways to show hospitality to others in this church. Do you talk to the same three people every time you're here? You sit in the same seat, and you only talk to the people around you. Find ways to get out of that that bubble a little bit. It would rock my world if I got got up here to preach, and I saw people sitting over there that were sitting over there. I'm like, what is going on here? Show hospitality to others for the sake of glorifying God. And maybe that means changing seats. Maybe that means, hey, I'm going to invite people to lunch that I, I don't really know. I just want to get to know them after worship on Sundays. Or maybe it means inviting people over for a play date if you have kids. Or maybe it means going up to a guest, somebody you don't recognize. And then not only doing that, but visiting, visiting them afterward. Going by their house and just going with them and praying with them. Or inviting them to your house. Or maybe you can commit once a month, to have somebody in your home. Take a moment, write down, what is God calling you to do to show hospitality? This is a command, be hospitable. It's not optional for us as Christians. And guess what? When we're showing hospitality with one another and we're getting to know one another and we're being kind to one another, we're going to want to do things together with one another. Thanks for God. And we're going to embrace that. So we want to invest our lives in in people, in each other, in a way that God can use. So glorify God through hospitality. Last, steward the gifts that God has given. Steward the gifts that God has given. If you are here today and you are a Christian, in other words, if you have repented of your sin, and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, and you're no longer living for your sin, you're not looking the other way when you do sin, but you're seeking to bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ and follow him. If you've repented of your sin and trusted in him, God has given you a gift. A spiritual gift. In other words, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he enables you 
to do something different, something that you weren't able to do. A spiritual gift. The Spirit lives in you, enables you to do something. For us to be a a church that God is calling us to be, and for us to be individual Christians that God is calling us to be, we need, the church needs you to use your gift. Because God tells us the, the gifts he gives are for the building up of his body. In other words, use what God has given you to bring glory to him. Verse 10 says this, just as each one has received a gift, in other words, each received, that means all have received a gift, every one of us, each, each Christian, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. He gets a little more specific, talks about some different types of gifts. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. Oh, he's, what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about preachers and teachers, yes, but not just preachers and teachers. There's other people who speak, people who encourage, who the, the gift of encouragement. People have the gift of counsel, right? give wise counsel to others. People who pray out loud for others. He's saying, if you have these gifts, do it as one speaking God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. God has gifted various Christians with different abilities to serve. Things like mercy or administration or generosity. And God gives us what we need to do it, to do all these things. He gives us the words we need when we're walking with him. He gives us the strength we need to not grow weary in well-doing when we serve him. But if Christians aren't using their gift, it robs God of glory he deserves because he's given it to you to bring glory to him. If you aren't using it, you're robbing God of glory he deserves. So if you are a Christian, you have a ministry. You have a role and a vital part to play in God's kingdom and in his church. It doesn't have to be a public ministry. It doesn't have to be in front of everyone. It doesn't have to have a title or a budget. Ministry, though, is not just for trained professionals. Somehow in our culture, we've gotten the idea that there's a few people who do ministry and we just kind of go and show up and are ministered to. But the Bible is clear. What my job is, my, my role is, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You have a ministry to do using your spiritual gifts. So let me challenge you. Are you using your gift. If you don't know, what does God want me to do? Maybe you're asking, what does God want me to do? I don't know what I'm good at. I'm just going to challenge you, serve in different ways. Keep serving and trying out different things. And we have a plethora of ministries in this church that you can try out serving. If you can't sing, I don't recommend trying singing. But you can try other things, right? But try them out until God shows you. God, if we are faithful to serve him, he will show us the way forward. He will show us how he wants, us to, how he wants to use us in the lives of people. 
And then once you discover what your gift is, do it. Simply be faithful with what God has given you and do it. Not for your reputation, not for your recognition, but for His glory as an act of worship. Knowing that He can use it for the good of others. And see what He does. See what He does when we have a church full of people committed to serving and using the gifts that God has given them. And being willing to make the sacrifices to do it. And serve the Lord as long as you have breath. Right? Let me be clear. clear. We never retire from serving the Lord or His church. Whether you are 10 or 100, God can use you. God wants to use you. There are things senior adults can do that I can't do. Ways they can encourage people. Paths they have walked that people need to hear and be encouraged by. And there are things young people can do that I don't have the energy for. And they can accomplish a lot. And I'm reminded of that more every year. But we never retire from serving the Lord. So we see five commitments here in this passage that God wants us to make to glorify Him as a church. And when Safe Harbor is full of people doing these things, I believe God will first make clear the way forward. He will guide our steps with a building project or with any ministry. And He will provide exactly what we need to do those things. And we will see Him do it. And He will get glory for it. So will you join with your brothers and sisters that you have covenanted with as members of this body to glorify God together? In these ways, let our goal be what Peter's goal was. May God be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer. That you would be glorified in everything we do as your people. as Everything we do as individuals, Father, and everything we do as a church, together. This is our heart. Put it in us, this desire to live it out faithfully together. And lead us wherever you want us to go. Whatever you want us to do. We have a blank checkbook that we are giving you, God, and you write what you want. God, we pray that we would love Jesus enough to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.